0: Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Um, today we have Coach Tony Munkin. Uh, he is the offensive coordinator at Vernon Hills High School in Illinois. Coach, how are you doing? Doing great. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on. And, and kind of before we get started, uh, if you wouldn't mind kind of going through your background, I, I think you have a very interesting background, both from a coaching and probably a family perspective uh, for coaches who who, are, who don't know you.
1: Well, uh start start with where it came from my dad and all four of his brothers were head high school football coaches here in illinois and all in the high school football coaches hall of fame here in illinois Uh, when they grew up post-korean war everybody was getting scholarships to go into teaching so they all went to college played college football and got football money and you know free scholarship money and so that's how it all started and of the uh 18 grandkids from that family uh seven of us went into high school coaching or college coaching um at one point or another over those years we've had another five of the grandkids that wound up being head high school coaches here in illinois and uh two of the cousins went into uh college coaching my cousin jeff's the head coach at west point um brother todd has bounced around a lot but currently the uh offensive coordinator Georgia they had a pretty good week this week uh and as far as me I I was going to go into college coaching when I first got out of college I planned on being a you know teaching for a couple years save some money go be a GA and at that time the USFL had just folded uh the market was saturated and I just decided to uh my, I looked at my dad and my uncles and they'd had great careers at the high school level and didn't have to move every two or three years. So that, that sounded pretty good to me to have a little more security. So I, I've been in high school ever since. Um, been an assistant coach, been a head coach, been a defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, all over the place.
0: Now, what was that kind of like? Kinda your, I mean, obviously, I mean, as you kind of mentioned, football runs deep in your family and um, like, I, I'll talk to coaches who um, their dad was a coach. And that's, I, I mean, that's a fairly common thing, or your brother's also a coach. Um, but what is it like when pretty much two thirds of your family has been a coach and some fact? Does it, what, what, what are like, what are like Thanksgivings like? What, how, how often do you all bounce, whether your brothers, cousins, how often do you bounce ideas off them, your, your uncles, your grandparents? How much does does football that conversation ensue on a daily basis within your family? Well, when when we're
1: together, for sure, um, we try, try, when the wives are around, not to do it too often. Um, but it's it it definitely goes that way, and um, you know with with where we're at, like all families, everybody's kind of branched out in, in different locations. Um, But uh, when we get together, it happens. Uh, Group texts, different things. So uh, my brother Todd, the one at Georgia, he and I went uh, a couple years ago, did a 10 horse tracks in 10 days trip. (laughs) And uh, we like betting the ponies a little bit. So we wound up in New York. And, well, if you're up in New York, who you got to see? Got to head coach at West Point, Jeff. So, you know, there's always something going on. And uh, you know, like I said, with the with the with the family, the way it is, and growing up in with a dad that's a head coach, I learned from going scouting with him when I was probably about ten years old that I was you know I wasn't allowed to watch the receivers. I wasn't allowed to watch the running back. I had to learn to watch the guards, and I had to tell him after every play what the guards did, and I I would try to then figure out where the ball wound up, and I'd get so mad to go watch the guards, and. You know those little lessons that you learn along the way, and things from being around it with all, all your the family, and you know it's it's definitely given me a great feel for the game, and uh, you know it's 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 a lot of fun. Everybody has a you know some people have family businesses. Ours just happens to be football.
0: <laughs> now, you you, I mean, we, I mean, between my research and us talking, I, I think one of the more interesting points is you've started a program from scratch uh, from the ground up and, and obviously with the growth of the population in our country, that's happening more and more often. Um, Like, I mean, I'll, I'll make an example on Tangy and Columbus. They just finished their fourth high school. I mean, and there, there's talks of a fifth one in their school district already. I mean that, that, so they're, I mean, they've, they've opened just three programs from scratch in the past 15 years. Like that, it, and there's been a couple other throughout our state. What is that – when you took on that challenge of starting a program from scratch, what was that process for for you, and how did you kind of approach that? Because that's a very different task than saying, hey, I'm taking over somebody that's got freshmen through seniors a lot, probably a good freshmen. person played already, to where you might be starting a program where none of these kids have played or not many.
1: Um, Libertyville High School, where I was the defensive coordinator, had, got, had grown to – almost 3,000 kids. We had a split schedule the whole bit. So they decided to split and open Vernon Hills, uh, got the job. And the first day they announced it, I had to go meet with the athletic director and he gave me a stack of catalogs and says, you know, we don't even have a football, right? <laughs> so <laughs> where, where you go? You know, so I, I had to go through and I had to make an order list. I sent it to every coach. I knew that and said look and see what i'm missing and it wasn't until we got to the first rain game that we realized the one thing we forgot was cleat cleaners but you know (laughs) but it was it was a great experience um and so much fun to just build everything i mean when you're sitting at at home at night and you're thinking what size helmets do i order (laughs) what size jerseys do i order um you know, things like that. And then, um, you know, we get our kids out and we had 35 guys the first year, only 18 of them had ever played football before. And six of those 18 were sophomores that we pulled up. Because in Illinois at that time, we were still running varsity sophomore and freshman levels. And so, um, so, yeah, we only had that, no seniors, it was juniors only and uh found a way to win two games and all we did for most of the practice every day knowing that we would get all of them back was just fundamentals. We ran triple option just like Paul Johnson's done for all these years. I ran the offense um like he ran it more in Hawaii though with a little more of the run and shoot passing game. Okay. With with the triple and and of course his play actions that he always ran and um, went down to Georgia Southern, um, during my spring break to watch their, their install during their spring ball down there. Um, so I, and called it exactly the same so that when I called my cousin, Jeff, who was down there at the time, I didn't want to say, well, when I run inside here, I call it 32, but you guys call it 12. No, we called it exactly the same motions, the same, everything, the same, If you're going to steal, steal everything, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we did everything the same. And um, the kids, all we did the first year was fundamentals. And then the next year, we had the most experienced team in the state and made it to the quarterfinals with our first senior class. So it's a pretty good start.
0: Uh, one, I love that quote, if you're going to steal, steal everything. That's beautiful. Um, but uh, and I, I have a couple questions on the flex bone. One, is that a family requirement, A? No. Because, I mean, obviously. Look at-
1: Look at Todd's offense with Georgia, it's more pro style. And, and you know, it, I did it for um, I kind of fell in love with the offense when they were when they were at Hawaii. Yeah. And it, for a couple reasons, one, it was a lot of fun, 2 Let's just say that you were in your 20s and maybe were gambling on a late night football game because you were chasing a little money that you'd lost during the day. And there's always that game that comes on about 10 o'clock at night at 11 o'clock at night it's Hawaii so it's a chance to chase a little money and I kind of fell in love with that offense watching it then I said if I ever get at a school where I'm not going to be the biggest and the baddest it would give me a way to compete without having to run those the legs off of my receivers and then try to make them turn around and play defensive back yeah. You know, so if you you know, there's two equalizers, you can run triple or you can throw it all over the yard. But if you throw it all over the yard, you better have other kids playing DB cuz those kids are going to be dead by the fourth quarter. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I wound up running triple and uh you know, we did it for 13 years and um when I stepped down, they they went a different direction. The guy that was my assistant head coach took over for me. He's still head coach there now. I and I work for him and have a lot of fun when there's problems going, hey, you're in charge now.
0: <laughs> now I, I kind of fell in love with Hawaii the same way, just about 20 years difference. I fell in love with Hawaii because I lived in Texas at the time, so I'd watch the late-night game, and obviously it was the June Jones run and shoot. Right. All just – I mean, Colt Brennan, uh, Jimmy, um, and, and all those guys and just kind of how they just do the ball over it. And that's what I kind of, when I fell in love with Hawaii – just kind of a similar thing, just right, just a different point. Um, kind of continue with the flex bone. Obviously, um, you are, I mean, and you, you, you messaged me a little bit about this because we talked a little bit, and um, you're, you were well known at and probably still are to a point of, of running speed option play action out of it, um, and kind of how that's evolved over the years. What, what made, I mean, and you mentioned that everybody knew it was coming, is just when was the problem. Right. Um, can you, do you want to talk a little bit about your speed, a, speed option play action game and kind of how that became your niche, if, if you want to say so? I, you know,
1: I don't know that you'd call it a niche, but it's, a, it's been a hell of a play for us over the years. And I, it even no matter what offense I've been a part of, um, we've run it. And um, it's if you, if you run enough speed option, and we did, you know, when we were flex bone – we did it now that I'm in shotguns spread and all that, you know, 10 personnel. Most of the time where we run speed option. So to have a little action off of it makes a lot of sense. And the, the fun part about it is it's a run pass option. So when we come, when we come out, you got the, the outside guy, we call it the window plate because he runs a post settle. And he has to stay in the open window so he can slide in, he can slide out, but he he always has to have a clear vision of the quarterback with no one in between him. Number two, receiver runs a wheel. Number three cut, sets the edge to get outside.
0: Okay.
1: Okay. So post wheel extra blocker. You know, I, I've, I always believe that if you're going to run sprint out or try to get outside, you better have three or four different ways to get that edge. You, you can't do it always. You can't do it the same way every time and expect to get out. So, but that's, that's how we do it from that one. And if everybody bails thinking we're running window, well, we just run speed option.
0: Yeah.
1: And the quarterback just pulls up, pitches the ball and off we go. And um, if the, the little, you know, things we have off it, like if the safety starts trying to squeeze down on top of that window, he just bursts right by the safety. So there's little things we've added you know over the years but it's um i've probably shown that to over the years people have had me come in and talk about different things about the offense but that's been probably the one that most people want to use and it's really not that complicated but it's it's just something that they haven't done before with because it's the run pass option uh, my cousin matt when he was at bowling brook and he was the O coordinator there he he hit it three times in a state championship game to win the state championship, and hit the wheel two of the three. There you go. So, but yeah, you, you get that corner to bite on that post, and it's all over.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I get one hundred percent what you mean, especially about the run-pass option part. I, we ran like we we ran like a variation of like Quick Buck this year, where he had the option. We had a pass habit for our running back. Once we hit it for a touchdown, the next one they ran with the receiver, so he just kept running. So right. it, it's the same concept. It's just, I mean, it's it's a very effective use of ru- the run pass option, just have a various different aspect. Um, but you can does anything else really change for it? Cause obviously the receiving part, but does any of your line blocking have to change for it? Um, any type of footwork, anything that of specific that causes you to have to change any of your speed options, play action no, be-
1: stuff? Because, because we're moving out of there so fast, we don't really worry about the backside. We just slide and pin okay. with, the, with number three and just get out, you know, break, contain. And if they try to bring someone around number three and off the edge, we'll, we always got the pitch ready to go.
0: Okay.
1: And right. that, window, that window shows up so quick that, if, you know, you can usually hit that window if they bring the, the flat defender off the edge. You can just dump it right over his head.
0: Now, next part is, you mentioned also right there that you've kind of transitioned from the flex bone to more of a 10-11 personnel offense. Um, I'll get to the, the scheme part of it here in a second, but the um, before we get to the scheme, how has the change of style of offense caused you to change practice? So I'm always curious how people practice and how people um, – look at things when their offenses are different
1: right well i can tell you we spend a lot more time on seven on seven (laughs) i mean we had you know when you're when when you're running triple you got you you can't be part-time triple you got to be all in so i mean you might do 10 minutes of seven on seven once a week the rest of the time it's it's mesh it's you know, your different drill works. We, you know, there's, we called it the given pitch drill. Every triple team does it where you have a guy standing there and he gives the ball, runs by another guy holding the ball and takes off and he pitches. So he's every, every rep, you got to give in a pitch. And, you know, that stuff goes on nonstop and you got to do, you know, I always thought you had to do your mesh. You're given pitch drills every day. Well, then you got to get to inside run and you got to get to team. How much time do you have for seven on seven when you don't have enough kids to two platoon because you still got to have a defensive part of the practice too. So you got about 45 minutes to an hour each day. So yeah, when, when we were running triple, there was, you know, maybe 10 minutes of seven on seven a week. And then we'd get some other throwing in during team time. Now you don't have as much of the mesh time and the, and the practicing of the footwork and the, the give and the pitch and all that. So, um, you know, as far as uh, that transition, I also think I'm I'm better at it. I'm just I'm just a better coach than I was. You know, 20 years ago when I first started installing triple, and that, you know, um, on a like on a practice this fall, a typical practice this fall, between inside runs seven on seven and team, I could get close to 60 different reps in 40 minutes. Because we're, bam, 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 and you know, with the script and having coaches understand what coaching on the fly is like, I'm getting I'm getting maximum reps in a limited amount of time, and then they can go to defense, and I'm done for the day. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, and that, that is the biggest part of my my day. Generally, is making the scripts because I want to make sure that when I run counter tray out of three by one from the left hash today I want to make sure I run from the right hash out of three by one tomorrow, you know? So it's always that counterbalance of each day and making sure that, and I know there's programs out there that you can buy that'll do the scripts for you. I, I like seeing it, and knowing what I'm doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, how much now at the same time, how much do you think you benefit? Cause you mentioned you're a better coach now. How much does that improve me as a coach? How much does that help? Because you're no longer a full-time teacher. Out of curiosity. <laughs> Because I mean, because like I said you got the time now to do the scripts. Whereas you know, if you're teaching five, six classes a day, you're you're either staying up at night doing those, or you're. I mean, you're finding time somewhere, but you're. You, you, I mean, you got teaching to do.
1: Oh yeah, you're so well. Yeah, I mean, you could cheat the kids, but we didn't. We don't do that. I mean, yeah. good, good coaches are great teachers. You know, so we're not doing that, but yeah, I, I, it is huge. The difference of being retired from teaching and being able to spend that time at home. And, and I can take my time with the scripts. I can watch film. Um, you know, whereas when you're teaching all day, you're trying to squeeze it in during your planning period, you're staying up at night. Um, and you know, you're, you, you don't have that the benefit that I do of being able to take my time with it, double check everything because you're just trying to squeeze it in as fast as you can. And hell, I i take my time with it and still have mistakes. Like I got it on the wrong damn hash when I get out there and I'll see it and I'll be not all other hash, you know. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, it's it makes a big difference for sure.
0: Now, the other are, are interesting thing, and I, I've kind of just waited to get to this. You have, I mean, as we've kind of hit about, you've transitioned away from the flex bone. Um, and you are, and I think, I think you wrote perfectly that air raid passing concepts with power run game. What was that, I mean, one why, obviously, but um, two, um, what has that transition been like a, as a play caller from c- calling a flexbone offense where it's always, okay, they're taking away inside veer, or we'll run, say midline or outside veer. This is how they're doing that. What has that transition been like?
1: Well, I've, I, I really try to use a lot of the same type of ideas because like, you know, with the flex bone, even though your, your tail motion, there's other ways to motion in flex bone. And you can also get into three by run and, one and still run triple. You just have to have number two or number three come back and get in pitch relationship. So there's ways to do it. And you're, you're still trying to constantly try to find that mismatch can I motion and get them out of position? Can I um, get them out of position by alignment? Can I, if I go into this formation, does it get them off their landmarks? Every defensive coach would love to just line up in his landmarks every time. So what do I got to do to get them off landmarks and create angle blocks? So that really hasn't changed. I mean, being able to run power and have my angle blocks, you know, that's still the same. Um, what What's happened was they had, you know, after I left, they went to um, probably a four and five wide offense most of the time, and very rarely ran the ball after I left. And then I came back in 2019, and we have this stud running back, and I'm like, uh, this makes no sense. This this is a this is a kid that could rush for a thousand yards. Unfortunately, um, broke his leg week five, but at that point he was the leading. Yeah, I'll tell you how good the kid was. He was the leading rusher, leading scorer, and leading tackler in the county when he broke his leg. Yeah, was was starting at inside backer and starting at running back for us. That was my son's uh, senior year, and um, so that's kind of how the power thing came about. The second part of it was that we had three or four kids that were, you know, H back types, so I could get into eleven, or I could leave them outside and insert them in to, to add to the power game. And if you wanted to give us a four or five man box, which some of them did, I got you outnumbered inside. Um, when I went back to my old ACE set with the two receivers out, the two slots in tight, and I could put two H backs in there. People would still keep it in a five, six man box. And I'd have, I'd have nine in the box. I mean, it just, um, So yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to do. Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, there was talk about this year going back to triple. I mean, I still love it, but right now just with our type of kids and the type of kids we're getting at quarterback, um, we're keeping it. You never know. Within another, another year or two, we might go back to triple. I, I still love teaching it. I, I love the quarterback's footwork. I, I haven't forgotten it. Um, yeah, I could, I could, I could do it in my sleep.
0: Now, you kind of mentioned when you, you wanted the flexbone. You obviously visited Georgia Southern, and you kind of pulled resources from X, Y, Z. When you were transitioning this, where do, where were you able to pull resources from? Um, obviously, there's eight thousand resources online, but is there anybody you specifically visited or reached out to or watched or looked at to kind of pull your resources for the air raid and the power run game stuff?
1: Well, I I loved Leech's stuff. And, uh, you know, anytime he was on TV, I kind of, you know, just not only a great interview, but, um, <clears throat> I liked, I liked watching it. And so, you know, I started looking for people that were talking about that online. Uh, Ron McKee's is a guy that I've watched a lot of his videos. I've never really talked to Ron, but I, I watched a lot of his videos and then my brother Todd. You know with the with his you know he's a power and zone guy and uh you know they all confuse him with an air raid guy everywhere he goes he has thousand yard rushers so that's kind of how i morphed into it i loved watching leach at washington state texas tech i love watching him now and with the with the back i had and with the resource i had and todd um kind of all came together that way and The line coach we have at Vernon Hills now, is uh, he loves the power game, so it makes a lot of sense.
0: Okay. Now, the other interesting aspect is um, kind of you've been a head coach, an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator. Um, What is kind of – what have you kind of taken away from the ability to do all three and kind of learned, and and how much do you use what you've learned to kind of impart stuff on your this current staff you're on obviously you're mostly just the offensive coordinator you're able to do offense and then kind of do what you need to do but how much are you still giving information uh you, your head coach who used to be your assistant and the defensive staff and how has that kind of all kind of come together well the dc is
1: still the one that i hired um and he and i did you know he, he and i started coaching together about 94 95 somewhere in there so they still run the same 3-4 I ran when I was the a defense coordinator. Um, so I have, you know, I'll help them with some certain things, but really my focus is so much on the, the offense that it's hard to find the time for it. But um, how did I become 3-4? Was that what you were saying? Yeah. To- I mean, that,
0: that would kind of going to be the next transition, obviously yeah. being able to bring knowledge to them, but, I mean, well
1: oh, you wanted more about how, how, how I, yeah. how I use it um, with the year. I, I became a D coordinator because I wanted to be a head coach okay. and we had an established co- offensive coordinator at Libertyville high school. And so the head coach says, I says, to me, you know, you want to be a D coordinator? I go, yeah. And he goes, well, you really haven't co- coached much defense. I go, give me three months. I'll be ready. And, you know, good coaching is good coaching. I can, take, I can take a running back coach that's never coached DBs and give him two months to t- go talk to people and find out. He'll be like, i oh, coach. If you're a good coach, you'll find a way to coach. And uh, so I, I started out, and I was running. Their defense was that old tilt 4-3, and, God, I hated it. It just uh, – I felt like I was changing every week. I had to adapt to you. And I don't want it. I want it. But I teach in June. I want to still be running in the playoffs in November. Yeah. So I want to force you to adapt to me. So that's how I got into the three And I started talking to a lot of the guys around here that were running it. And, you know, the one thing about the three, four is everybody says, oh, you know, it's a stunt. No, it's bullshit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but yeah. The slant allows me to be whatever I want. And if I screw people down, I can be whatever I want. So I can be an underfront, I can be an overfront, I can be a four, four, if I wanna be a four, four, and I can transition into nickel without changing personnel. There, there's very few other defenses that allow you to do that. And so the flexibility of it and cons- the teaching part of it, um, being able to do the same thing from June to November that's how I became a three four guy and using that using that idea with what I learned from there um Pete Carroll used to talk about why he still runs his four three and he didn't he never changed over the years and it's because I know where its weaknesses are, and I know where you're gonna want to attack and I know how to counter that if I change I don't know I don't know the counters anymore so I learned from running a defense where the weaknesses are in defense. And so that's, I, that's what I use most of the time with the offense. I try to, I try to, uh, you know, pick my matchups. And the one thing I always remind our coaches is that I don't have to confuse the other coaches. I just got to confuse 16, 17, 18 year olds. So.
0: That's 100 percent correct in that. I mean, we've we've conversations all that. It's like I'm not trying to beat the coordinator on the other side of the field. I'm trying to beat the the 16, 17, 18 year old that's starting quarterback or starting off left tackle or deep nose tackle or whatever whatever side of the ball we're on. Right. But, but how? I mean, also building off that conversation about the three fours, how did that evolve over the course of your career? Because obviously, like over, over the, I mean, football in general has had a somewhat of a schematic. Evolution to a point, uh, run pass options instead of the triple. I mean, it's really kind of two sides of the same coin, just presented a little differently. But how did, how did, especially your like three four evolve over the course of your career from being a DC to now you're a head coach, retiring? How did the, how did that evolve and transition? And how much were you more able to do over the course of your career? Well, the
1: when I first started, you know, our, our adjustments. Or change ups we were more of the bear. Played a little more bear out of it. Um, change ups with coverage, but we pretty much stayed three-four. We would reduce once in a while, but for the most part we were slant and angle, and we did a lot of flex on early downs. The old, you know, really it's the old Michigan blue slant defense. Yeah. And um, so over the years that transition came to where we because the teams throwing the ball so much more, we 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 found a way to choose our personnel so that we could jump into nickel without having to bring somebody in from the sideline, and to line up in the three four as the quarterback comes to the line, and you know shift right before and wind up in nickel, you know anything to try to confuse guys and especially people that want to run RPOs. If you if you give them a look at what they think it's going to be and try to change it right before the snap, anything to try to mess with that high school quarterbacks head. And so, you know, that's probably the biggest transition. Um, we don't flex as much as we used to. Um, still slant and angle, though. And if you teach the kids the reads, um, there's no way in four or five days you can get your scout team to match the movement that our D-line gives you with the slant and angle. And that's, that's what we try to rely on, is if we can, if we can get quick strong kids doesn't matter how much they weigh or heck the best nose guard in our school's history like i used to tell people he was four foot 13 and 130 pounds and 413 to emphasize how short he really was but that little kid could he could bench about 330 and i always teased him because i said you know you should be benching 360 you only have to move it that much but (laughs) but you know it's it's all about the movement and uh Being uh, the slant and angle, if I can get you to be second-guessing or just hesitate a little bit, well, I should double-team him, but if he slants the other way, do I go to backer then? You know, so that was always what we were trying to do.
0: Now, now, last two questions, and I want to switch back to offense real quick, and this is something I've asked a lot of my guests this offseason is, um, first, from a game planning perspective, uh, especially now that you're – I, I don't know how much in See, it's different from when you were flex bone to air to your spread air raid power game. How, what is your process for game planning a week? Obviously with you being a retired teacher, you have a little bit more time than the average state coach, but what is your process? What do you kind of look at when you're prepping for a team?
1: Well, I've, you know, I know a lot of guys that'll that'll start breaking down the next opponent while they're still getting ready for a current opponent. Um, you know, so I, I don't play them till, a, you know, it's Wednesday and I don't play them till a week from Friday. I'm not looking at their film. I don't want different thoughts going on. I want my whole focus to be on that opponent. When I was a D coordinator, I tried to, you know, I did my own um, work on film. I didn't do anything with um, someone else. Trying to give me tendencies. I wanted to come up with all of them. Huddle assist has changed the game because there's a lot of guys that don't spend the time that we used to spend breaking it down. And in my opinion, that's, you know, that's changed it. So, you know, you used to be able to outwork your opponent by watching more film and doing the tendencies yourself. Now it's, now you have to, you know, now it's more about trying to outscheme those kids and get them confused. But, uh, but as far as the process goes, Saturday morning, we come in, we meet with the kids as soon as they're out of there, you know, they go, they get done with us, they go lift, and it's then it's on. And we come out, of, we meet on Saturday mornings for till probably we get in at eight, we're probably done about one. And uh, by that time, we have our skeleton game plan done. What we need to look at, is there any adjustments to what you know how we're blocking Are we playing a stack team well you know hell we haven't played a stack team in three weeks we better review the rules on block and stack um then uh sundays we have our our offensive group text and so we're we're watching more film and that and by the by the time sunday night rolls around we usually have pretty much everything done and uh we don't believe in, you know, taking people away from their families on Sunday. That's the one day a week you get. And now, are we still working football? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, um, you still have time to be around your family, and um, we think that's important.
0: Okay. And then, and then the last question I have for you is, um, and this is something I've been curious about for both offense, defense, and coaches I've talked to. Um when you on game day when you're I, I don't know if you're in the press box or on the field I didn't I didn't ask you that question um, but what do you try to have the press box coach whether it's you or somebody else look at what is their assignment for you because um, as I've said probably here anybody that listens to the podcast up to this point um, I think that's one of the areas we struggled in so I'm always looking for ideas and I'm always looking for better ways to do things so what did you have your press box guy or whether you or somebody else look for as you're calling it, calling a game?
1: Well, I I love being in a press box, but with our current situation, they, they want me on the sideline because of, um, you know, one guy, one guy, one of the offensive coaches is also the special teams coordinator and you know how that all goes. So, um, so I have different, uh, actually a former head coach that wasn't even in practice that much in the box uh, last year, but it'll be back to one of the guys on our staff, but it's very simple. I want down and distance and hash mark and shut up. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's it. That's it. I want, I mean, when the, when the play's done down distance, hash mark, shut up. Let me get the play in. Now we can talk. Um, I want you watching the defensive backs. I'm, I'm going to, and I can see the ones on our side. So I don't need you watching the defensive backs on our side. I want the defensive backs on the other side. You know, what are they doing? Is he biting? You know, is that, is that kid trying to get involved in the run game way too quick? You know, so those are the things I want. I, my line coach is watching the line. My running backs coach is going to see it. He's going to see what what's going on there. I kind of look through the, I try to get in front of it. And I'm looking through the linebackers to our quarterbacks. So I can see all that, but up top, <laughs> you watch those far side DBs and let me know when I got a throwback or a play action that can pop for a big one. And, um, you know, sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. It's typical press box stuff. You know, you, you never know what you're going to get up there.
0: Yeah. Coaches. That is another episode of the, uh, gap Downbacker podcast. Um, Please check out any sponsors' and affiliates that are listed in the bio. Uh, make sure if you want to go listen back to at any point of this podcast, uh, the time tags are in the bio as well. So if you want to click on something specific, whether when we were talking speed option, uh, whether we were talking this flexible and air raid stuff, uh, his background, starting program, scratch, if you want to go back to any of that point, those tags will be in the bio for you to listen to. Uh, like, share, subscribe as normal. Um, and that is another our episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast.